Welcome to Behavior Grooves. My name is Kurt Nelson. And I'm Tim Houlihan. Given the strange and turbulent times that we are living through, Kurt and I decided to reach out to some of our favorite behavioral science researchers and practitioners to get their take on the novel coronavirus pandemic that is shaking the world. These special edition episodes will explore a variety of different aspects of the crisis and our response to each of those aspects through a behavioral lens. We know that you may feel overwhelmed by the crisis already. It seems every news story, every social media thread, every phone conversation that we have is focused on some aspect of the pandemic right now. While the news and updated information are essential, we're going to take a different tact. We want to try to understand the science behind our reactions and our behaviors and how science can help us cope and move beyond the current crisis. In each episode, we talk with a different behavioral science expert and get their best thinking on an aspect of the crisis. So sit back, take a deep breath, and listen to our special series on behavioral science and the coronavirus pandemic. Anurag Vaish is the co-founder and director of The Final Mile in Mumbai, India. They now have offices in Mumbai and Chicago. Anurag brings over 17 years of experience in strategic planning, research, and marketing communication, and he's a hero for developing interventions that slowed pedestrian deaths among commuter trains in India. We are happy to have Anurag back with us on, on Behavioral Grooves. Anurag, welcome back. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Kurt. So it's a pleasure to be back again after a while. We are excited. <laughs> you were episode three, I believe. So Seriously, this, wow. is, this is uh, one of the very first. We're, we're so happy to have you. Um, we do want to check in. I mean, this is our special series on, on COVID-19. So how are you and how are your uh, how's Final Mile doing? How's Mumbai? How are things going for you guys? Yeah, thankfully for us, uh, we we are all doing all right. I mean, we don't have a single case of anybody affected or somebody from their family affected. As of now, we don't know. We are tracking okay. very, very closely. So uh, that's just good grace. But uh, apart from that, we do see a lot of pain everywhere. So that's painful. Uh, being locked down is painful, but everybody understands that is the best thing to do. So I hope you guys are all right. You guys are taking care. Uh, while kind of doing your business, <laughs> yeah. we are. We are. Thank we're, you. We're 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 doing this all virtual and and uh, staying staying apart, which you know for me with Tim, not too bad. So that's okay. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Uh, Anurag, tell us about how uh, the final mile is addressing uh, any of the behavioral implications of the pandemic. So yeah. In several ways, I would say, but uh, as I told, uh, as I kind of believe that with coming together with Fractal now, we are uh, kind of bringing data science and behavioral science together, right? So uh, if you see the COVID world today, it's all about data, right? So there's so much yeah. data everywhere. And suddenly everybody is an expert in data, right? So people talk data like as if they understand everything about uh, yields and you know uh, testing norms and so on and so forth. Luckily, we had something called flatten the curve, right? So that's become like a, a common parlance. Thankfully, it's a good heuristic. Uh, but together, uh, as a data science and a behavioral science team, uh, we are kind of helping the government in many different ways. So uh, you know, we are kind of developing uh, data tracking mechanisms. We are helping with dashboarding. Uh, helping the government kind of see how 
their efforts are working in terms of containing people and you know tracking uh, their movements and so on and so forth so that is one uh, efficient piece of work that's already started and the governments are benefiting and i hope uh, it, as it kind of progresses we'll get probably little more sophisticated with how ai kind of is bringing not just information but also intelligence uh, to the government's decision making right so that's one piece uh, the other piece that just got started day for yesterday uh, is that we started building a a, a pandemic playbook right uh, so the idea is that there is really no playbook for dealing with these kind of crises in the world right i mean it's quite evident from how governments are behaving differently so a german government has got nothing to do with uk and us and india has its own story right uh, so what we started doing was we kind of created a a platform where you know people can plug in uh, what they are seeing in the world from a behavioral science point of view uh, from an intervention point of view from an insight point of view on how you know governments and people and communities are managing uh, the 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 pandemic right uh, in terms of interventions in terms of risk perceptions in terms of communication in terms of specific issues like mask wearing and testing and so on and so forth right so that just got kick started yesterday we are hoping that you know as we kind of get a lot of you know uh, socially sourced inputs into it uh, potentially for the future it will kind of start to create a playbook uh, for people to deal with it and maybe not just pandemic but crises it could kind of escalate to that standard so i'm quite hopeful that it will turn out to be a good archive uh, an intelligent archive of uh, global efforts right uh, beyond that we've been putting out some advisories from our side on kind of effect that corporates can bring into play in this kind of a situation right so for instance we are quite worried about what happens to the delinquency system right as in uh, uh. the way people are affected in their credits we might see delinquencies go up so we are trying to help banks understand how to use behavioral science to manage the situations proactively and reactively uh, we are putting out advisories on how to make a hand washing a more uh, you know durable habit rather than something that comes and goes with this particular uh, situation uh, we are kind of very very keen to help governments realize how risk needs to be communicated right i mean uh, sometimes we start to think of risk as numbers uh, yeah. unfortunately that's not how it operates in our brains it operates as a feeling right right um, so and in, in, in many cases i mean the way uh, trump speaks or modi speaks or johnson speaks right everybody uh, tends to kind of use numbers as a way of communicating risk right and and then the kind of outcomes we see are not necessarily in line right uh, so we are very keen that we are able to influence our risk communication in a way that it communicates a feeling and therefore draws a response which is behavioral in nature rather than communicates number which is just a cognitive evaluation and response right so uh, that's another piece of work that's happening uh, i am on my own kind of very very keen that 
we are able to kind of do something about self-learning in this environment because online learning by itself is uh, one of the sectors to gain, right? Because uh, all the schools have closed down, all the tuitions have gone out of the business. So people are learning at home. Uh, my fear is that as the situation goes back to normal, online learning will also get out of the window, right? Mm. So, yeah, so I'm trying to help organizations understand how we can use this opportunity to create some durable, you know, preference for self-learning uh, rather than kind of let it be the way it is, you know. So currently, it's all about access and content. There is really no engagement, right? Uh, so, so yeah, a variety of things, uh, some data-oriented, some social-oriented, some corporate-oriented, and hopefully some of these will be effective, right? <laughs> Yeah. So, Anurag, how do you think the Indian response has been different than, say, the rest of the world? It it seems, and, and maybe I'm mistaken about this, that uh, the crisis has hit you a little bit later than maybe other parts of the world, China, Europe, U.S. Has, have, has the Indian response been different? Has there been learnings that they've taken on? Um, and what are the unique challenges? that are faced in India? Obviously, it's a very different country than in, than the United States. So what are some of those unique challenges that you guys are facing? The number of challenges in India are like an endless story, right? So uh, <laughs> yeah. from, a, from simply a healthcare system point of view, uh, we are not necessarily the best prepared country in the world, right? So mm. our public healthcare and a private healthcare are equally scarce. They're not necessarily bad, but they're quite scarce. It's not, it's not widely available as one would like to be, right? And that kind of creates an environment of fear and scarcity, right? So it's scarce and scarcity coming together uh, for governments to kind of make decisions in these kind of situations, right? But equally, we have a prime minister now who is highly trusted. Uh, who is a great communicator. I mean, one of the finest we have seen in a long while uh, and who kind of, you know, uh, gets a lot of trust from the population in general. And so he's able to leverage that trust and that command that he has in the polity today uh, to get people to, you know, behave, to be people to agree with the policy decisions that are coming to the fore, right? So that is... Uh, I think one thing that's working quite nicely, uh, that we are low on resources is not unknown to anybody. And so hopefully we have been lucky because our numbers are nowhere compared to what we are seeing globally, right? So I think as of today, we have about six and a half thousand or even less than that uh, uh, number of positive cases. Uh, and our testing, I think we have tested close to 100,000, 125,000 100, uh, people thus far. Uh, the World Health Organization still believes that there is no community transmission that's happening, which is, again, uh, very lucky that we are still yep. kind of uh, some clusters and some tracing from people who have traveled abroad and so on and so forth, right? So, so that way we've been lucky. Uh, and then the government, I think, took a very good decision to lock down the country. And so we are in a 21-day lockdown right now. Uh, and we are in the last few days. So on the 14th, the first 21 days of lockdown will finish. 
uh, and that I think has helped uh, the public authorities to kind of take the due measures to trace, track, and quarantine, and you know, contain zones and identify clusters, and so on and so forth. Right? I think the government also did very well to expand the testing from just the government hospitals uh, to the private sector, which has run into some trouble now because. the supreme court came and said that the private sector cannot charge anything uh, which is awkward because the private sector is charging something like 60 dollars for the test uh, uh. but that said i think the private sector contributed to the testing uh, we now know that some random uh, testing will also start not necessarily of trace people but just population testing to figure out if uh, there is any community transmission and Uh, you know if there are situations of people recovering and antibodies developing so uh, given that the situation is not really as bad on the disease side of things uh, i think the government is getting the time to kind of put his wares together and put something out right on the other hand there is a social problem that we are dealing with which is uh, you know so many people in india are dependent on daily wages so they're not employed on a you know weekly monthly wages uh, and a lockdown you can imagine how bad it can get for those people right who kind of earn on a day to day basis uh, the government has done enough uh, as of now to kind of provide free rations and you know uh, drive some moratorium on loans and you know free fuel and so on and so forth right several measures to make sure that there's food on the table but you have to see how the delivery system and the public system makes sure that this gets delivered to people and not just announced right so some challenges over there uh, for sure you know, i was in a government meeting just a couple of days back and and we have a unique challenges right i mean we have a lockdown and then there are so many communities in india so many chawls and slums right where people use public toilets i don't yeah. have their own toilets right imagine social distancing and isolation with public toilets so those concerns are real um, and uh, i think the government is doing enough to sanitize those places by kind of you know uh, scrub you know kind of using fire brigades and so on and so forth but uh, the social distancing as a concept is alien to people like us who are who live in such densely populated environments right and so a house which has 12 people living in a 100 square feet house you can imagine what social distancing means right yeah uh, so those are the challenges but i think either we have been lucky or that we yet don't know i hope we are lucky rather than that we don't know yeah uh, and we're getting the time to kind of deal with it at a pace that we can manage. Uh, Anurag, this is gosh, this is just so wonderful. You've given us so many wonderful things to talk about, but I want to go back to this pandemic playbook. Uh it's really fascinating that you're putting together it sounds like a global playbook, a global uh the a uh, a collection of stories from all countries and observations and tests. Um tell me what what you hope to gain from that. i think at the first level we want to collate right so people are observing uh, you know so even if something as simple as people drawing circles right on the 
common spaces saying you need to stand here right and you need to keep that distance right it's a it's a very simple nudge and and a very affordable nudge to drive behaviors right i mean so that's as micro as it gets right and at a macro level we know how governments in different countries are dealing with the situation uh, we have a german situation a sweden situation a uk situation where a behavioral scientist came in and started dominating the discourse and then they had to kind of backtrack a lot right uh, so this is a global playbook uh, the idea is to get people to contribute to it so it becomes like an archive and then we are able to kind of work on the archive to put some intelligence into it uh, some some arrangement into it some synthesis into it uh, to make sure that we understand how to kind of create some kind of a rule book or a playbook for people to deal with it right so you want to go beyond just just having an archive that is just uh, a record or a journal of things that happen. You actually want to editorialize and say these are some things that worked and these things worked better than others. Is that right? Yeah, we would like to do that, uh, provided we'll get some data on it, uh, because uh, you know behavioral intervention data at this time could be fairly random, uh, yeah. because the data focuses all on the numbers of COVID testing and results and you know ventilators and beds and hospital capacity and so on and so forth uh, so i don't know what kind of appetite people have to really uh, put an intervention and then test the efficacy of it to kind of bring some data back uh, but if that happens that would be fantastic as well right but even in the absence of it i think uh, the fact that there are um, a finite number of ways in which people are responding to particular situation right for instance just about risk communication right if we could get 20 different ways in which people have seen how risk got communicated right uh, we could put our behavioral science cognitive science hat on it and create some kind of a synthesis or take it to experts and say why don't you synthesize and tell us you know what do you see in these interventions where might there be flaws or hidden you know hidden flaws in it right Honor, I want to go on that a little bit because before you talked about, you know, risk is being communicated more as numbers within kind of the general communication that's going on out there. And you were talking about the, you know, risk, we feel risk as a feeling. And so how, how do you communicate risk as a feeling versus just the numbers? Are you, you know, how are you informing people to, to communicate that better? way back we did some work with unilever on road safety for instance right and mm. uh, one of the things that happens with road safety is that when you have an accident there's a safety officer that files a report right and the safety officer's report looks like this it says at xyz time so and so was in so and so road and when he turned left and some car with number so and so hit this guy in so and so and then he was taken to hospital this that and so that's fact based risk communication so we have warned the guy that you shouldn't be ever traveling on a bike without helmets and we have let him go with some minor reprimand right yep now risk is a feeling communication though is different right it's a of a, a communication story that comes from the spouse so the spouse says in the morning i was busily kind of getting things done and then i got this call which said my hubby or my wife has met with a minor accident and i was so worried i just don't understand why why my husband just keeps carrying the helmet in his hands and never puts it on his head <laughs> right 
you know, that's a feeling communication. That, that's how risk gets consumed, right, rather than the facts of it. So nobody is saying that we shouldn't share numbers, uh, but uh, how do you kind of communicate the feeling, right, so that the adherence becomes a preference rather than uh, just a mere compliance, right? So I want you to do this is adherence and compliance, right? How do I make it a preference that I want to do this? I want to wear the seatbelt. I want to remain isolated. I want to keep physical distance, right? If people are telling me I'm at risk, I must go test myself. In Bombay, for instance, right, one big problem we have, and not just in Bombay, I'm sure it throughout India, is that a lot of people are getting identified as high risk are refusing to get tested. Why is that? Uh, because of the fear of hospitals, maybe. Uh, fear of knowing the results, uh, fear of feeling guilty, fear of being ostracized by the immediate community. You don't know what, right? But it's not a unique thing. In, uh, in the, When you're dealing with HIV in Africa, the fear of test is huge. People yeah. would rather not know than know, right? So Yeah, that's you know, terrible. Uh, so here is where feeling of risk needs to be you know, at a segment level, communicated to people, you know, not just saying that people are symptomatic or asymptomatic, right? Think of asymptomatic people from under-resourced communities. What is his yeah. perception of risk? Very different from an asymptomatic, or, you know, identified as asymptomatic risky person sitting in a well-resourced community, right? Your perception of risk is different, right? So... Uh, that's what we mean uh, by kind of communicating risk. And so one of the things we did, and that's something that we were testing internally, now we let it out in the market just today morning, is that we have started an emotion research globally, right? Saying we want people to give us 100-word stories, right, around how they're dealing with the current situation, uh, be it about working from home, be it about keeping themselves safe, be it about dealing with family members, be it about, you know, dealing with people you know who are sick, uh, you know, so on and so forth, right? And we want to emotionally analyze all these stories and hoping that we'll get thousands of such stories from across the globe. And that will also give us a sense of how people are consuming risk and how they are emotionally responding to it. Uh, behaviorally, we have tied them down to a house now. Right, so you're not really worried right now because they're in their homes most of the times, right? Yeah, but I'm worried when they come out of their homes, right? What happens <laughs> then, right? right? Uh, will we compensate all our you know lockdown aggression uh, significantly on the roads and in our behaviors once we are let loose? So, hopefully, this research will also give us deep insights into human emotions and their ability to cope with such situations, right? Well, we would love to share that link to the survey for those 100-word stories uh, in the show notes. Would that be okay? Yeah, sure. 100%. Great. Thank you so much. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll be happy to get that. So speaking along these lines, Anurag, if you were to put a, a crystal ball, uh, some kind of future vision into place, what do you think might what do you think of the habits that we're starting to take on or that we're having to get rid of? What do you think might continue after the crisis is over? I'm quite a pessimist about those things, right? I mean, we, <laughs> you and me both. Know, you and me both. 
you know we are too too tightly linked to the context right i mean that's how we are right in the current context there is a set of habits we are displaying uh, but it's not to say that we cannot and that's where i think you know irrespective how much every government today believes that this is a time for authoritative enforcement of regulations right and i am with them i mean there is not a time to let loose and say you know people do whatever you want to do that's not that's not the case right but there is no case for not using behavioral sciences right which is what i meant when i say today is the context for adherence i agree but if you put some behavioral science into it you might 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 just change that adherence to preference right so preference for hand wash is better than adherence to hand washing right preference for i mean people are working from home right how much bad is it i think it's a good idea right why should we be getting up every day morning at 8 o'clock and driving 40 miles to go to work when we don't need to right mm-hmm. so why shouldn't that become some kind of a you know habit that you know days that i don't need to i work from home right how do i get people to buy health insurance i mean in a country like india right i mean why will we not get people into the habit of owning a decent health insurance plan right so i'm hoping that some of those habits would change right uh, but it will require uh, it will require that preference communication it will not happen if it's all about adherence communication right and that's where this whole idea of feeling of risk uh, the sense of self image built into those habits and not just coping right uh, making it my goal rather than a government goal so right now it almost seems like it's a government's goal to manage containment and manage you know contagion and not letting other people get infected so i want you to behave that way how can it become part of my goals right how can it become part of my self image my impression of the self right and i think those are achievable it's it's not not achievable right i mean if you look at the seat belt example right i mean we know that sometimes when we change our mind when we start thinking about things differently we change our behaviors right yeah but what is equally true is that sometimes when we change our behaviors we start thinking differently about it if we stand in those circles we start feeling risk not necessarily that we have to feel risk and therefore we stand in the circles we see people wearing mask we start feeling risk not necessarily that i have to feel risk to wear a mask right right so personal hygiene public hygiene in a country like india where we spit anywhere you know where roads are so dirty right public toilets are the norm right Uh, those behaviors i think should change uh, will require some effort not just what we are doing right now anurag this uh thank you the the insights as tim mentioned earlier i think are really valuable here it, it's a different perspective you you bring a different perspective um but yet to to the degree this is a global pandemic and as you're talking about this global playbook and the the interventions that you're talking about utilizing um you, you know focusing in on feelings as opposed to you know adherence pieces having a preference yeah. versus adherence i think are all really great insights and so just want to thank you for for being on and uh that 
just it's it's always great talking it's to you. It's always great always talking, great to, you, talking to you. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. It's great talking about it. Uh, and I'll kind of send you some uh, notes that we have been publishing. If you find it useful, please do share. Welcome to the special edition grooving session where Tim and I groove on some ideas and concepts that were inspired by our conversation with Anurag. So Tim, what what sparked your your interest here? Well, the first thing that, that Anurag talked about was this idea of India's just beginning, right? It's just starting to bloom in India and with the high density slums, with the idea that their healthcare system is really not articulated and and cut out for this. My gosh, this is, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Yeah. The idea too, that, you know, the Indian culture isn't one to really understand, not understand, to buy into social distancing is not part of their, right. their social culture that, and, and as you mentioned, the high density slums that have communal bathrooms. So thinking yeah. about trying to social distance or physically distance yourself when to use the bathroom, you have to go and use a communal bathroom that, you know, many, many other people are using that same bathroom is just the the challenges that India is facing are immense and it's just starting and the potential for real devastation there is real. So all the work that Anurag and Final Mile and, and, and all the other work that they're doing, I just, I commend them yeah. because I think it's really vital the number of lives that can be impacted over there is just huge. And I, I'm, I'm hopeful, keeping my yeah. fingers crossed for them well, that, what, that it well, works. Isn't, isn't some of Christine, Christina Bicchieri's work in uh, India, like this whole idea, uh, I think she was talking about the uh, non-use, the, the not use of toilets, the absence of toilets and the cultural norms around, we're not going to use a toilet, we just go in the field and we just, you know, we've got places to do that and, and, uh, you know, that's, that's a problem as well if yeah. from a public health perspective that gets amped up during a virus like this. Yeah, you got to think about the idea of if it's already a issue where people don't use the, you know, public bathrooms or, or bathrooms in general because they have some cultural components around it, which as, as Christina talked about, it was in some of the rural um, villages that were there that she has done some of that research with a fear-based pandemic like this the, about a virus that it could potentially be spread through contact in those types of uh, restrooms, other areas like that. You got to think that that uh, change that they're trying to do to get people to use public restrooms has probably been thrown back a number of years in, in the ability for them to actually make that change happen. Yeah. It's, it's huge. Yeah. Kurt, yeah. how about you? What, uh, what were you, what were you really struck with? He said something that is stuck with me in the couple days since we've actually had the conversation with him, which is risk is a feeling, not a number. Yeah. And I thought that was really poignant from the perspective that we feel risk as an emotion, that it's a feeling mm -hmm. and it's really hard to communicate that even when the numbers that we talk about in threatening situations such as this are huge or scary, but that risk assessment part of it is still an emotional response as opposed to a 
cognitive response, at least the way to get people to change their behavior around that risk, I believe, is where he was going with this. Well, so, and, and we've had this discussion with other guests about distorted risk perception. Yeah. And in part, it's distorted because, because we're, we're not actually making an assessment based on rational or logical or provable facts. We're, we're basing it on emotion, on feeling. And yeah. Anurag just hit that right on the nose. Yeah, I love the, you know, telling the story about a wife hearing about your accident versus you hearing the numbers about the the types of accidents or, or maybe even more of a factual basis around that accident. Then and the difference in, in a response and, and the perceived risk that somebody is in, I think is really important there. And yeah. so think about that. So how do you communicate feelings? How do you communicate emotions? Right. And I think there's some aspects where you can add in some visual elements. The much video so. is much more the ability to communicate emotions and feelings in video is much more than probably written word. Yeah, the idea, stronger. the idea of narratives or stories as Anurag talked about that story about the wife and yeah. using emotive words, using language that helps convey the, feelings that people have in those situations, I think is all of those factors when you're trying to communicate this and to do something, again, to get people to really assess the risk and make a behavior change because of that. So those aspects are vital for us to move forward in helping people change their behavior. Yeah. Well, and kind of linked to this was the, his comment about adherence communication as compared to preference communication, right? I mean, this, this really clever and thoughtful way of teasing out the idea of having people have a preference for the right behaviors versus just the requirement to adhere to the rules. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought that was a really important differentiation to make. Yeah, I like that too, which gets into this this concept of reactance that oh, I think yeah. we've talked a, a little bit about in, in some other episodes. But reactance is this idea that, you know, we will push back uh, on things if they take away our personal freedom. So we want, we want things that we cannot have, right? So if it feels like it's taking away one of our freedoms or restricting us in some way, this is regardless of pandemic or, or, right. or not, right? It, you take something away and you want it more. I remember I had some dental work done and I, you know, I'm not a big popcorn eater, but one of the things I couldn't eat was popcorn. And the idea that I couldn't eat popcorn, I wanted popcorn more. It was, it, you know, I, I, I don't not like popcorn, but it's not something I crave on a regular basis. No. But just the fact that I could not have popcorn, I wanted that damn popcorn. Right. Well, this and, is where laws of prohibition, you know, have failed uh, in, in the past as well. Yeah. And so I think there's, there's that idea of instead of making this communicating what you can't do and the rules and regulations around this if we can communicate the preference. So making people want to do the right behavior as opposed to restricting them from doing the wrong behavior. Right. Then I, it adds into our ability to, to keep with this on the long term, because I think also the reactance uh, aspect of this gets stronger, the longer that it goes on. I don't know that for a fact, that's just a that's just a guess. Well, it's kind of the difference between 
uh, we've often talked about the difference between how a nudge can influence a particular behavior in a particular context at a particular time, but that doesn't necessarily change our preferences. Mm. And changing our preferences is, is a very different thing, especially in the long run. And that's yeah. kind of what we what we need to be thinking about in this pandemic is changing our preferences, changing yeah. the way that we we think is a good way to be the normative self. Right? Yeah. Eugen DeMont was talking about the, how nudges really don't change long term preferences and social behaviors, whereas social yeah. norms being uh, adaptive and moving and changing really yeah. do have a long term impact. And I think that's a really important perspective to bring to this. Mm-hmm. Um, I was also really happy that they're doing this pandemic playbook and these hundred word stories. It was just, again, a, in all of these conversations that we've had with people, the creativity and the hopefulness of moving forward and trying to use behavioral science for good. I have just been so uh, proud of this community that we are part of this behavioral yes. science community that is really trying to make a difference in the world, a positive difference in the world. And, and this is just one more instance where yeah. we're seeing people trying to think of how can we help? How can we make this better? Maybe not today, but in the future moving forward. Yeah. I, I saw a piece in the LA times yesterday written by George Lowenstein and one of his PhD students. And forgive me, I don't remember her name right now, but it's just so, and it was about helping. It was about, you know, people need to feel comfortable accepting help from us. And I thought this was a great, great article. We might have all these good intentions of I can go out and help, but part of receiving help is actually being willing to accept it and feeling comfortable that I'm in a place to accept that help. And that's where that's a great example of how behavioral science can be used so perfectly during this time. Yeah. Is, is helping people ask for help and receive that help. <laughs> that's right. There you go. <laughs> that's right. It's the that's helping, the helping help, help. Thing. <laughs> I don't know how that yeah. works. And it all helps. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it just gets me to think, like, what are some of the other aspects where the behavioral science community moving forward into post-pandemic craziness? What are some of the things that we can start to think about now that we can bring to that post-pandemic uh, that may help either in the getting back into what would be considered normal or if there are the next pandemic that comes or even the next just, you know, challenge that we face as, as a society, as a globe, even as a, as a small local community. Yeah. How can we, how can we start thinking about that now? What are the aspects that we can do in, in preparing for that future? How about planning for the recovery? How about having behavioral scientists at the table when it comes to what my company is going to do to, to come back to life, to, to rebuild the company, to get back into business, whether you're a, a retailer or you're a business that's been impacted dramatically by this? How yeah. about have a behavioral scientist at the table to engage in that discussion to make the transition more successful? Well, you have to think that there's still going to be a lot of fear in yeah. 
in both our consumers as well as employees when they come back into you know, officing, not from home, but officing in an office or right. interacting with customers in a more physical way than they are just via Zoom. So, yeah, how do you transition? How do you ensure that people, are, you're not just ignoring that fear, but you're dealing right. with that fear right. and that you're dealing, with, you're dealing with it in a way that is respectful and, and based in science as opposed to just gut feel. I think that's a great great thing to think about and and how can it, are there some guidelines for how to do that and it's not just fear either it's this idea of you know some people might have felt really uh discombobulated by being apart and coming back is this emotional thing and others maybe not so much and so yeah. different reactions to this and then there could be anger or confusion about why people are responding differently so there's a lot of different responses that people are going to be going through once this is over and then what are the new norms that are that are taking place and what exactly. are the new norms that you want an organization yeah. to have i think all of those if you can have a behavioral scientist on 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 call to a degree or at the table, those are pieces that can be really beneficial. I think going even a step bigger, uh, one of the things is, you know, the global community of behavioral scientists, I think is getting more connected in this time. We're learning things from different people from around the world. Obviously our talk with Anurag in India, mm -hmm. uh, us being in the United States, we've had conversations with people in England, you know, a variety of people from around in the Iran. world on, on behavioral, yeah. yeah, Iran, you know, from around the world. I'm hoping that those global connections stay and that we start learning about how different cultures and different societies are responding to these situations and taking that insight into our overall response. Mm -hmm. So it's not just uh, US specific based responses or European based responses that it's a global response. And I think those connections can only be beneficial in the long run. And yes, we've always had them. We've, we've, we've been talking yes. with people yes, from around the globe since we've started this, this podcast, but I think, and, and the, the community itself is global and is, is, is connected. But I think even having a greater connection to that global piece is really important as we yeah. do this. Well, I wonder how much of it is not just the global connection among the community. The scientific community has been generally together globally, but it might be connecting the global scientific community to the global business community, to industry, uh -huh. to the applications of, of the science. Yeah, I love that. And so I think there's, there's a piece there. And, you know, if the next pandemic comes out, what about having a behavioral science rapid response team that takes a look at this? Because again, behavioral science is so context driven. And yeah, so absolutely. whatever the next pandemic or major global crisis is, there's going to be contextual factors that come into play. That's so right. that, yes, as is, Anurag is, is creating this, this pandemic playbook, I think that's important, but that pandemic playbook is going to have to take into account the contextual aspects that are in place at the time of whenever that pandemic comes. And that's where I think behavioral scientists can really add value so that it isn't just this 20-page playbook that, all right, 
it's happening, we open up to page one and we start going through the the, the checklist because we may have to adapt that checklist given yeah. whatever yeah. is going on in the environment, society, the way that things are being transmitted and communicated, we may have to take into account some variances and sh and shift those out to conform to the, the specific contextual aspects that will make a difference. Uh, so those who adapt will be around to have their DNA in the next generation, right? <laughs> <laughs> the evolutionary aspect of this. Yes. Oh, well, with that, um, you know, again, I think this was a, a great conversation with Anurag. You know, love love reconnecting with these guests that we've had, uh, you know, across many years now and really, you know, getting back and seeing, again, all of the great work that, that they're doing. And Anurag is no exception to that. Thank you for listening to the special episode of Behavior Grooves. We hope that you found it interesting and insightful. If you liked it, please let others know. We think that the topic is important and maybe we can help in educating people about how behavioral science can help us all out in this current craziness that we are going through. Also, please let us know if you have any thoughts or ideas that would be helpful or that we could share. You can reach us through the Connect tab on the Behavioral Grooves website at www.behavioralgrooves.com or through Twitter. I'm at T. Houlihan and Kurt is at What Motivates. We really do love hearing from you, and this topic is one that spurs lots of emotions and thought. As part of our mission, we want to expand and inform the community of people who think about positively applying behavioral science to life. One way that happens is through leaving reviews. If you think this podcast is beneficial and should grow, we would really appreciate to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast server you use. It only takes a few minutes and goes a long way to boost us in the algorithms that are used to generate search results. Also, please check out the show notes. We are linking to a number of resources articles, podcasts, newsletters that we vetted to bring good facts and ideas around COVID-19 and the coronavirus, its impact and ways that we can help slow down the spread. There is a lot of information that's being pushed out to everyone each day, and we are weeding through it to find good stuff so that you don't have to. We truly appreciate you listening. Now go out and wash your hands. Wash your hands.